Thank you, Jessica. Do you live at that piano all week round or just you're there all the time? We sure appreciate it. Enjoy it. <clears throat> well, I, I know that uh, lots of accolades have been offered to the banquet, those who hosted it and our youth that entertained us last night. And there were there were a lot of laughs almost nonstop. If you missed it, you missed a good one. Um, it, things changed up a little bit. There was a higher attendance due to the fact that it was no longer the banquet of fear factor, uh, but it was a little more welcoming than it had been because I know that some people don't like to be in front of others and be put to the test and have to do a game or entertain. And so they fear it and they say, not me, I'm not going to that thing. But this year there, there was not that excuse and we had a good turnout and the youth served us and also entertained us. Um, and they just did an outstanding go- job. You can tell that they put their heart and souls in it and it paid off. Um, you could also, it's pretty obvious who wrote most of the scripts too as well. But uh, <clears throat> thank you so much to our youth for doing that and Sam and Michelle. And as I said last night, the idea behind it, you know, we, we try to provide tasty food and entertainment and strategically seat people for good conversation. But just so you know, the real idea behind it is because we are, uh, as a church, want to invest in marriages. And if we can just have a night out that will serve that purpose um, and give a, a romantic atmosphere and a friendly atmosphere, but also a reminder of the gospel in Christ. And that's what we want to do. And so we appreciate your participation in that. Uh, this is National Marriage Week where we purposely um, turn our attention to the importance of marriage. And depending on where we stand, hopefully throw our support behind it to strengthen it. It just so happens that in our study of Matthew, we are in chapter 19, and that's what the Pharisees want to talk about. So we got to chapter 19 through chapter 18. Chapter 18 opened with Jesus' disciples arguing Loudly enough for him to hear about it over who is the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus used that argument among his children to enter into a tremendously profound discourse on not how people in the world deal with, but how people in his kingdom, his children and his family deal with sin, their own and others. And so we were treated to this idea of how we're supposed to look at it. And deal with it. Obviously, we're supposed to avoid it at all costs. As we were taught this morning in Romans, abhor it, to hate it in ourselves, get rid of it. And woe unto us if we cause others to stumble. And then, but when we do, we are to confront one another in love and even care about the other's soul. And how profound was it to find that the emphasis that Jesus put when offenses have been given is not on the one that's been harmed, not on the one that's been hurt, not on the one that's been offended. But in this passage, he actually says, even though you may be in great turmoil and the, the, your, your soul's peace has been ruined, you are to go and care for the one who actually sinned against you. What's the rationale behind that? But that the person that has been willing to sin, they have given their heart to darkness and their soul is in peril. And you may be hurt, you may be wounded, but you're still tight with me and you're depending on me. 
to go and minister to them. See if you can corral them back with your love and your care to me. An amazing thing. And so all of that took place in Galilee. In chapter 19, they head south. Jesus and his disciples, they head south. And they're uh, in the area of Judea now. And they come upon some Pharisees. The Pharisees want to talk about a rather heated, controversial topic. And that is the topic of divorce, which is still a heated, controversial topic even in our day. And I just want you to know that they're not really wanting to know biblical truth. You know by now what the Pharisees are after is dirt. They want to take Jesus down. They're looking for an ex- a way to look righteous on the outside, but to carry out the evil and the malice on the inside. Because righteousness is very important to them, or hypocrisy, better said. They want to look a certain way and present themselves, and you just can't be blatantly evil, so you have to find sneaky ways to do it. So they're always trying to trip Jesus up theologically or doctrinally so they can say, ha, we got you to the, to the um, stoning pit or whatever, to the cross, whatever. But in their digging for dirt, Jesus gives us gold. He gives us treasure in how he answers them and fields these questions. We're going to look at the first 12 verses. I will break it into two sermons. So we'll look at the original tent of marriage this morning. And then next week, we'll look at what Jesus has to teach us about divorce. So let's read our passage, Matthew 19, 1 through 12. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him and he healed them there. And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, is it better not to marry? But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Well, whenever you talk about marriage, you have to bring in the statistics. And there are countless statistics about marriage these days. Uh, I think we're just under 50 percent the divorce rate. So that um, just uh, just a little over 50 percent of the marriages actually make it these days. Um, If you are young now or you're a young adult and you made it to adulthood and your parents marriage is still intact, you are an exception to the rule. 
Uh, marriage rates in 1970, according to Breakpoint, Chuck Colson's ministry, 80% of all adults were married. Today, it's 50 per, 52%. In 1960, the median age for a first marriage was 20 for women and 23 for men. Today, it's 27 for women and 29 for men. And you always got to pick on the millennials, right? So a full 25% of millennials are likely to forgo marriage altogether. One report says that a record share of millennials will remain unmarried through age 40. So we used to say marriage is under attack. I think now it's accurate to say marriage is on the retreat. Uh, people aren't just... Um, we don't just have marriages that are struggling these days. We have people that just aren't marrying. They aren't getting into it. They aren't that interested in it for a variety of reasons. We have marriage is always a hot topic. We have um, it, we have it in the headlines endlessly. And you have the group that it's the traditional view. And we say we've got to get back to the traditional view and we got to make we got to we got to change these laws so it's not so uh, easy to get divorced. We need to bring it back to like it used to be. And then we have other group that says, no, it, we want to keep it, but we just have to make it more accommodating to our cultural mores. We do need to make it easier to get into and easier to get out of because the times are changing. And then we have another group that says, scrap it. Just get rid of it. Man, we've grown out of it. It no longer represents who we are as humanity. It doesn't work. You know, it's just a thing of the past. So let's just scrap it. So marriage is always a hot topic. It was a hot topic even in Jesus's day among the religious groups of people. I think it's a hot topic because and a topic that will be discussed in every generation and wrestled with in every generation because it's a part of who we are. And Jesus points them back to the beginnings. Have you not read or have you not heard? And he goes back to the creation account and he reminds us that this this idea of marriage, it's innate. It's a part of our humanity. And so there are things in us, there are longings um, that we have that we want to be fulfilled. There are dreams, there are ideas, there are perceptions and conceptions of how uh, our, our romantic affections should be played out with one another. Um, there's this innate desire, perhaps, to start a family, to build a legacy so that this world knew that you existed. To leave a heritage. There's all of these things that mankind wrestles with and and rolls along with. It's like pieces of the puzzle and all the different generations have they, they decide on how they're going to put them together and what it's going to look like in their generation. But it's all the same stuff. No generation has existed that hasn't struggled with it. And if you, according to history, there is not a uh, people group alive that did not have some form of marriage, some some reflection of marriage that in some way at least looks like a picture of what God created. So there's always this idea. Uh, we just are losing sight of what it's supposed to look like or what it ever looked like. So what I want to do in this passage is pretty much take the the approach that Jesus took. They want to 
learn about divorce. And that's a big thing in their day. Um, it's a big thing in our day. But rather than entertaining that first, Jesus tells them, well, here's what marriage was designed to be. Here's what it's supposed to look like. So before I tell you what it's like for marriage to end, let me tell you what it's like for marriage to begin. And he takes us back to the original intent of that. So I want to look at this morning, what is marriage? I mean, what is it? We know about it. We hear about it. We're married. Many of us are married. We're in the middle of it. We're different seasons of it. Some of us are getting ready to get married. Some of us, sadly, may be thinking about trying to get out of it. But what is it? What exactly is marriage? And what's its purpose? What's it supposed to do? What's it supposed to look like? Back in the beginning, verse 4, he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man Separate. Marriage is ordained by God. It's God's idea. And I know that we get confused or cultures confused and there's different answers. And some people say, well, actually, it evolved because there is no God. And so uh, it evolved in the man of mind, in the, the mind of man. And there came a point where he thought this would be a good thing to do with the affection and the romance and love. And so man invented marriage. The scripture says God created or ordained, instituted marriage, not society. And I think that's why we can't get rid of it. Because it's innate. All these years, as big of a struggle as it can be in trying to figure it out, we're still, it's still very much a part of who we are. And I also think that because it's a part of who we are, the farther we move away from it, the more harm we do to ourselves. So we need to decide where these longings come from, this desire to talk about it. This longing, have, have you ever felt as, as a young person, um, just you have this idea that surely there's somebody out there for me. Or when you get a little older, you, you, you want, you have this desire, this urge maybe to have children, to have a family, to settle down. All these things are there for a reason. What do we do with these? Marriage is something that's bigger than us. We didn't come up with it. Even those longings and those desires were placed there by God. And the question we have to wrestle with, I guess, is, well, if... If man devised marriage, um, then we can tinker with it because we came up with it anyway. We invented it. We thought of it. We thought it was a good thing at the time. And now maybe we have second thoughts. Maybe we can think of something that will serve us better the way we have evolved. But if it's God's institution, then you can't tinker with it. And if you do tinker with it, and it's the way it's meant to be, then it's going to break you. I know that we call, and Scripture calls, uh, a violation of the law, breaking the law. But when it comes to God's truths, because they 
are a reflection of his person and a reflection of our own humanity and our own essence. When we break God's law, really, they break us. So we might think we're being sneaky and rebellious and we can fudge and we can get away with things. But God's law breaks us because it's real and because it's true. But Jesus says God created it. And because God creates it, he regulates it. He manages it. He's the one that puts limits on it. He he defines it. Marriage isn't yours. Marriage is bigger than you. It has a bigger purpose than each individual relationship. It's something that we enter into because it was already there, ordained by God, designed by God. So let's answer the biggest question I think there is. We just take a real broad view of marriage. What is the essence of marriage? I mean, what what is it? Not its purpose and how does it function, but but what is it in and of itself? What what makes it what it is and how do you separate it? From other things. What's the essence of marriage? Well, some say, obviously, it's love. You can't have a marriage without love. And it's affection for one another. And love is absolutely, and affection and emotions are absolutely a part of marriage. But is that really what marriage is? Because you can have love uh, in, in different levels and towards different people and different relationships and affection. You can have that outside of marriage. So is that all that marriage is? It's just love. And then some others say, no, wait a minute. No, marriage is is the physical union and procreation. Because that's that happens within the institution of marriage. And that's true. That's absolutely an important part of marriage. But is that what it is? Because that can happen outside of marriage. I mean, bunny rabbits are pretty good at it. And I've you know, they they're not married. So what? Just if you you had to kind of do bare bones or bare knuckles definition, what defines it or sets it apart from all these other things that may be a part of it? I think that Jesus helps us with this in verse five. When he says he made them male and female to do what? To cleave. What does it mean to cleave? We actually um, looked at the two New Testament word for this this morning in a different context. He he brought them together to hold fast to one another. It literally means to be glued together. So the idea of of marriage and bringing together what God is joining is that it's never meant to come apart. It's joined in such a way that it's just never meant to be broken apart. So it's it's a cleaving, holding fast to the person that you're joining yourself to. You're entering to this this association with the opposite sex, a relationship ordained by God. And later on, it that word and the relationship develops into what we would know of as a covenant. That's how scripture starts defining what happened in this cleaving command. It's defined later by scripture as it's a vow, it's a covenant, it's a promise. So cleaving is making a covenant. It's a, it's a personal vow or a public vow. It's a commitment to do life together as husband and wife until this mortal life ends. Here's how God describes it in Ezekiel 16, 8. There's some cultural things here you might think. What a robe and nakedness and... 
But you'll, you'll get over that and you'll understand really what he's talking about. When I passed by you, this is God talking to Israel. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were of the age for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God. And you became mine. God's taking the marriage that he created between a man and a woman. And he is describing his relationship to his people in those terms. But he's using what was understood as a marriage vow, a marriage covenant. So the idea or the essence of marriage has to do with a vow, has to do with a promise, a, a commitment that is to be made and remained faithful. So it's not just about the love, not just about the emotions, not just about the romance, but the essence is just this healthy covenant. The fact of the matter is you can't really have you can't really have the other things that you want so badly. All the good fruit that grows out of a healthy covenant without that healthy covenant. We try. We try to make relationships. We try to, to go deep and really be connected with people, with the surface things. But you can't really do that without the commitment. The commitment is the foundation of an intimate relationship. And once you have that the good things grow out. The, the children can come from it and romance and affection and love and, and caring, caring for one another. And I think that's why in our day and age, there's a lot of people that are disillusioned and walk around very broken and very hurt, very confused because they can't figure out I'm giving myself to this person. I'm, I'm giving my body to them and, and, and I'm spending all this time with them and I'm investing in them and I don't understand why I'm not... My relationship isn't like that one over there. And for some reason in our culture, this, old, this idea of actually making a vow is, is not popular. It's unheard of. But the vow is what allows those other things to grow. So we can give ourselves and put ourselves out there and still not get what we want. Because it's not, that's not the foundation of the package of relationship. It's a, it's a powerful thing. A covenant commitment is an incredibly powerful thing. We don't realize how powerful it is. And we're losing it. We're watching it. I know in my, in my lifetime, you know, you read the history books about how different things in culture changed and monumental events. And this is a monumental happening in my lifetime. I'm literally watching the whole concept of marriage and family and what it means to be related dissipate and it's very very painful very painful it's not just about the moment not about those uh, affections that may seem so strong that particular time that particular day your feelings and emotions they're wonderful they're great enjoy them while you can but they're like fresh produce you know you just can't keep it around but so long it's going to go bad. They're going to wear out. It's not going to taste the same. And so what do you do with that? You can't count on them to stay like that forever, though we would like to freeze frame these things. See, cleaving means making a promise. 
that you can count on and that I can count on. Whether the emotions are there or not, whether romance is there or not, whether I'm doing everything right or not, I've, I've pledged myself to you. And I mean it. It's a sincere pledge. And that pledge creates the opportunity or opens the door to an incredible relationship that cannot be attained without that kind of pledge. The essence of marriage. Because in a relationship, we need security. It's one of the most important things of a relationship is security. Can I count on you? And without that, it's like building on the rock. It's something firm. And today, relationships are built on sand. And we, they, people can't understand what, what happened. You've got to build them on the rock. The rock is that covenant commitment as understood in God's holy word. So it's such a powerful thing to be able to rely and depend on something, to know it's going to be there because there are things in our lives we just have to know they're going to be there for us, right? So let me just be silly for a minute. So, you know, you've saved your money. You saved your money, maybe months, maybe years, because there was a product. There's few things that you do this, but there's a product you really want and you worked hard. You saved your money for it and you walk up to the counter and you reach into your wallet or you reach into your purse to get that wad of cash and it's not there. And there's a little note. Sorry, I, I found a purse that was a little roomier and more comfortable to be in. Or it's a hard day of work or a hard day of school and you're, you're driving in your driveway and you can't wait to get to your home and, and just chill on your couch and watch your TV. You've been longing for it. And you drive up the driveway and your house is gone. And there's just a dirt spot where it was. And so you drive up and down the road and sure enough, as you go down the neighborhood, there's your house between two nicer houses. It moved, found a nicer neighborhood to live in. You see how we, we depend on things to be there for us. Life works on commitments, pledges. And if, if every day is just going to be random, we can't grow. We can't get anywhere in life. And I know that's silly, but you get the point. And, of course, when you move that into real-life relationships, like, man, Dad, I thought you were going to pick me up from ba ba basketball practice, and I've been here three hours later. See, commitments. Or you, you, you're a little kid, and you scrape your knee, and you're running to your mommy because you need a Band-Aid or a hug or a kiss. She's on vacation? Abandonment? I know it's absurd illustrations, but commitment is powerful. And really, it's how we go on with life. It's how we have any idea what the future is going to look like. Getting a little ahead of myself there. So it's not just personal feelings of the moment. Uh, Keller says, in a wedding, in a covenant, you're saying nothing about your feelings at the present in a covenant, you are saying, I promise to be tender, to be affectionate, to be faithful, to be serving from now on, regardless of your condition or mine. That's what a covenant is. You know, it's never too late to, to, to hear what you're, you're hearing right now. No matter what age you are, married or not, this is what marriage is. It's never too late to change. It's never too late to adjust ourselves. 
And it's an opportunity to enter into it in the right way. I remember thinking about love and emotion and great display. I don't pay a whole lot of attention to TV and all this stuff. But, man, back in 2005, you know, I look at the news. And plastered all over the news was this headline in this event with Tom Cruise in 2005. Oprah Winfrey was a huge thing. And he, he was on her show. Um, and I couldn't get away from it. Just everywhere I looked, there it was. And there's Tom Cruise. He's jumping up on this couch in the middle of this interview on national television. He's so crazy about this girl that he's in a relationship with, Katie Holmes. He just can't contain himself. He's in so much love and he gets so gushy and mushy right in front of her. National TV jumps on the couch and he's so excited like a little kid. They got married and had kids and seven years later divorced. Now, that took a lot of guts to do that on that. He was proclaiming his love for this woman on national TV in a silly way, in a humbling way. And some people thought, wow, it's so romantic that he would do that. And others thought, man, it's, he's a nut. Why would he do those kind of things? But a covenant's not a present moment by moment event. To say, I love my wife in front of the whole world is not a covenant. Covenant endures. It endures all phases. And it's worth getting exciting about. But a covenant is saying this. When that time comes in the future and the feelings are gone, I'm still here. A covenant enables us to lay the foundation for a future because you know, you know you're going to be at, together when you reach that goal that you're working together for. A covenant says, I'm not going to let my, my DNA determine my future. And what I leave behind. Covenant says, I'm not going to let my family history determine my future and our relationship. I'm not going to let my hormones determine what kind of life I live and where my future is going to turn out. A covenant says, right now I am deciding for myself before God as my witness what our relationship's going to look like. It's going to be defined by these and then I'm going to live it and I'm going to stick to that. Now, that's how you get somewhere in a relationship. You cannot go any deeper or get any more intimate in a relationship that's based on that kind of commitment. And the very commitment that our culture is scared of because they've seen it done wrongly so many times. And just because it's done wrongly does not mean it's not what we, meet, what we actually need to get back to. Because it is. It's a powerful, powerful thing. So in Scripture, if you think of two very powerful things, one of them is forgiveness. And what forgiveness does, and that's why you see it, you can't escape it. And what forgiveness does is, is it allows uh, our past not to control us. So you, you have a hurt back there. And if you don't deal with it, if you don't forgive, if you don't set that person free and therefore set yourself free from that, it's going to control your life. You're going to avoid that person. You're going to feel anxious. You're going to have malice. You'll be all twisted. It's going to control your life. So you avoid let the past controlling you today by forgiving. How do you control your future? By covenant commitment. You've determined what it's going to look like.
and how you're going to act. So when I, what happens when he no longer looks at me like that? Covenant commitment. Covenant commitment allows for that kind of security because a lot of relationships that if you don't have that, what are you thinking? I got to perform. Do I have enough makeup on? Because when am I going to am I doing what I need to do to stay in this relationship? When is that day going to come when I'm not good enough or somebody else just outdid me? But when you have that bedrock commitment, you can be yourself. You can be way more vulnerable, way more intimate. You can go way deeper with that covenant commitment. So the essence of marriage. But let's take it to the other level. Once you have that foundation of covenant commitment. Okay, so that's that's what it is. And what's its purpose? What's it made for? Let's look at the purpose of marriage. Jesus is quoting Genesis, as you know, and he says in verse five. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So he is to cleave, he is to covenant. Why? What's the therefore, therefore? If you go back to Genesis, I won't take the time to do it, but you think of the first three chapters in particular, first two chapters of the creation account. God's making everything and he's blessing it and it's good and it's good. The lights are good. The dirt's good. Animals are good. Birds good. The water's good. The fish. Everything is good, good. He makes man and it's good. And then all of a sudden you're shocked because all there's something in there that's not good. And what's in there is that man is alone and that's not good. And the idea is really to shock us and get our attention. Whoa, what are you going to do with that, God? And he tells us what he's going to do with that. He fashions from the ground a woman, Eve, that he needs. He's alone. And all this wonderful, good stuff's nothing wrong with it. And in fact, he's just it's just he and God. I mean, could it get any better? If you just had God all to yourself, wasn't right. It's not what God had in mind. He creates Eve as the companion, someone just like him, person to person. That can have a deep, deep connection. And he joins them together. So if you say, what's the therefore, therefore, what was the... And I'm, I'm, again, I'm doing kind of bare knuckles marriage. Because I only have one sermon to do it. There's a lot of things. But what is the purpose of it? Companionship. That's why woman was created. That's why marriage was created for companionship. You do things together. There's this need that humanity has to be whole, to be complete, to have social relationships. And marriage is was the first. And all society is to be based off this kind of covenant commitment, teaming up, friendship, partnership, where you're just pressing in and you're giving yourselves to each other. True, truly, purely, faithfully. You're there. You're being vulnerable. You're caring for one another. So it's a physical oneness. It's a relational oneness where you're sharing everything. And of course, the idea after that is the cultural mandate where he blesses them and he says, go into the world and be fruitful, fill it. So that's part of it. And take dominion, rule together. 
All of this is this is your little dominion. I've got mine, which is everything. And this is your little dominion, man and woman. Now subdue it, rule it in a way that reflects me. Rule it like I would rule it. Make it flourish through goodness, all of it. You're a team that is to be glorifying God with the mandate that he created you to do. So there was this. In, there was uh, an incompleteness in the relationship of man. And God creates. So companionship, sharing all you have. I remember, um, just personal experience, I remember uh, when I married Lisa, uh, you know, I was a rebel stuff and I, and I hardened my heart. So God had to really do some work and some soft, soften some things. And um, by by his grace and through some premarital counseling things, I, I actually got to read what God had to say about love and what God had to say about marriage. And I, I, I had boundaries for the desires that I had to find a, a good woman and do life with and stuff. And so I remember thinking we were in South Carolina at Bible College, thinking, man, I, this is all by myself. But anyway, um, she wasn't there. I love I don't think I could love. Thank you, God. I don't think I could love her any more than I do this very second. It's just brimming over. There's just no way I didn't even know I could love a person this much. And then I distinctly remember about five years later having that exact same feeling and thinking to myself before God, how is it even possible that that what I was convinced could there's no room for expansion, there's no room for growth. How could it be better? How could I love more? And it's because of the way marriage is designed, really, if you're willing, there's no end to the growth that can take place when you grow it on that kind of covenant commitment and you understand its intent of companionship. Because you're constantly giving, you're constantly sharing, you're constantly getting to know one another. And when it's like that, of course, it has this propensity or capacity to just grow and you become deeper and more intimate, the love. And, and, it, and then you, it's more seasoned and it has more shades to it. And, and it's just, it's this complete package. It's an incredible thing. It's no wonder, as a message to some of the singles out there, it's no wonder that the scripture says, before you enter into it, be equally yoked. And sometimes if you're single and you're maybe a little bit desperate, you're thinking, God put that in there just to make me lonely. He put that in there and he just narrowed my field of prospects. And now I don't have any hope. But think about the intent of marriage. If you are going to take your core and be one with another person's core so that you join and you don't have Christ in common, how is that going to turn out? It's to save us. Because you, you can't become the one flesh as marriage def is defined. You can have great in physical intimacy. You can have fun together, all these other things. But can you really be one when you love different things or you have a different core pr priority? I'm telling you, you can only go so deep and then it just fizzles. And we see it happen all around us. It's no wonder God's grace tells us to be equally yoked. And it's also a warning for married couples, especially those of us that have been married for a while, to remember, what's, why am I doing this? 
It's friendship. It's companionship. Because we can become so familiar and get set in our little roles. You know, we, we've learned to, to um, know what we have to do to get along and to um, avoid the time bombs and stuff. And we get a little bit of shrapnel here and there, but we've, we've tempered ourselves. And I know I, but I can't say that. Mm-mm. I can't do this. So you, you get in this functional groove, and, but you, you can get to where, well, you don't share yourself anymore. And it's just kind of going through the motions. I mean, there's still, there's still stuff there. There's still love and affection, but there's so much more than that. We have to be careful not to let it get stale. To reflect the image of Christ, God is a giving God, and he just gives. He gives what? Himself. And that's what a marriage is supposed to do. You just keep giving yourself. You just keep giving yourself. Keep giving yourself. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So the loneliness that wasn't good, the the thing that Adam didn't have, I mean, he had everything. He wasn't looking for somebody to help him pay the bills or somebody to cook him a meal or, you know, give him a haircut. He, He needed deep, intimate companionship. And God created Marriage, everything grows out of that. See what can't grow out of a good promise. You know, in that day and age, uh, the sign of oneness was um, sleeping together. That's what you did after you got married. And we have a ring and stuff, but when you were sleeping together, that meant you were in a covenant relationship. Our culture has it kind of backwards, I think. And it causes a lot of pain. What we want to do is, is we give ourselves physically in the hopes that we'll find a friendship. We just put ourselves out there sexually in the hopes that maybe I'll connect with something. And we're willing to give the physical to try to get the promise, to try to get the commitment and the depth and done work. It's, it's based on commitment, companionship, Friendship and then the other stuff grows out of that. So it's something to think about. The scripture holds marriage in the highest esteem. And we are to hold it. What, where are we in our view of marriage? Not, let's not pick on the culture. But where are we today with our view of marriage? I mean, Because God's view of marriage, man, it's like up here. Where's our view? What kind of priority do we make it in our lives? And maybe it's a reflection of the kind of relationship we have. It is a blessing from God. It is a gift from God. It's a part of who we are. I'll talk about singleness later. Not leaving all that out. We'll talk about how to get out of it. Is there ever a time to get out of it? We'll talk about that. But for right now, just think about the original intent because two times in this passage, Jesus brings them back to this is the way it's supposed to be. Because they're like, yeah, but well then why did Moses put it in the law? Uh, this is the way it's supposed to be. The only reason he did that is because you're a, you're a, a corrupt sinner. But this is, so let's think about the way it's supposed to be. The essence and the purpose. Marriage is a powerful thing. The way your spouse views you, speaks to you, can have a certain control of your life. Because it means so much to you. You know, I mean, there's, there's people in 
maybe in my circles it might pick on me a little bit or make fun of me or something or you have a funny haircut or whatever. But if I ask my wife, how's how's this looking? She says, you look fine. Then I'm good. I don't care what you think. There's just a power in that oneness in that relationship. Marriage is society in the making. Strong marriages make strong societies. Marriage, marriage makes things, doesn't it? Not just babies. It makes things. It's always making things, creating just like the person that created it. You know, it, it, it's making me into the image of Christ. Because God uses my wife to do that, doesn't he? <laughs> it makes things. It's the, it's the rich soil. To grow, it's powerful. So we want to heed Jesus' words as true and as powerful. Just take them with us. Put them in our hearts. Bring things back to life that perhaps have gotten stale or died. It's God's gift to you. Enjoy it. To God be the glory. May God bless the preaching of His word.